Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 30 of uh, College Football Throwdown. That's right. We've made it all the way to the big 3-0. How about that? That's awesome. <laughs> That's right. This is a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. Father-son duo here. Talk about the Nebraska Cornhuskers today. I am joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz, as always. Hey there. Go Big Red, buddy. That's right. Go Big Red. Um, yes, today we're here to talk about the last game of the regular season, the Iowa game, and uh, also to talk about the possibilities Nebraska has for a uh, bowl, a bowl game, and also what the uh, what the off season has in store for us, or what we need to work on during that off season. Uh, but before we dive into that, as is our tradition, you know the thirtieth uh, 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 bottle cap here. Yeah, <laughs> our our tradition of cracking our beverage so here it is ah there we go uh maybe maybe like when we get to like you know episode 50 or something we can do like a compilation of all the cracks in a row yes all right um so obviously this was a big game you know we had uh we had talked about it for the past two weeks we had that bye week to prepare for it you know, I got to. I went to this. Um, there's a Husker bar that I've gone to a couple times throughout the season. I went there, and even though it was you know Thanksgiving weekend, so there were a lot of people out of town, there was a solid 30 Huskers or so there, various ages, watching the game. So it was fun to be around fellow fans. What was your viewing experience? Uh, you know, I was just uh, here at home uh, watching it with the family and uh, a couple of friends, but that's it. That's right, and. Um, we we gave our traditional predictions. Um, uh, we we adjusted them a little bit last week, or at least I remember you changed yours a bit. Um, so your uh, we were both thinking, you know, optimistically, you know, that Nebraska was capable of winning. So you predicted a forty two twenty eight victory for Nebraska, and I predicted a thirty five thirty victory. Uh, so I guess technically I win that one since I predicted a smaller margin of victory, <laughs> even though we both lost. <laughs> so I don't think there's any win there. Just yeah. So you know. <laughs> no, no. But um, so to break down the positives first, okay? Because there's a lot of positives about this game. Um, as I was watching it, you know, uh, there were the people in the bar with me. You know, we were there's a lot of cheering. You know, yells of "Go black shirts" and stuff like that. You know, uh, mm-hmm. because our defense, with the exception of those, you know, two. Uh, fade to the left runs that we let them get for big yardage. Aside from those two plays, pretty much the rest of the game, we played really great on defense. Yes, we, we did have a good defensive game plan, it seemed. Um, we, we really limited the, the damage that uh, Iowa was able to do. And, it, and if it wasn't for those two breakdowns, and ironically those two plays were the exact same play, ran twice in fairly close uh, proximity to each other, and both were uh, related to uh, a play, uh, the player that got ejected from the game uh, just prior to those plays occurring. So, so it's just one of those interesting things that happens uh, where that's a great coaching on the part of Iowa to recognize, okay, this guy who is valuable to their team, an experienced secondary player, uh, isn't there to fit in the, in the run scheme. Let's attack where he should be and see what happens. And sure enough, you know, his replacement took the wrong angle twice 
okay, and when they weren't they weren't set up in the right uh, defensive scheme, and then we didn't adjust, and wham bam, they got two cheap uh, big plays. Yep, yeah, that was uh, obviously you know the the battle with nobody nobody likes the refs, you know, on either side of the ball. There's always uh, calls that go against you that you don't think you deserve. But there were there was a little stretch there, and they all happened around the same time in the second quarter, where you know we got that roughing the passer that was complete baloney, and you know then he got uh, kicked out because of the targeting, even though he did what he was supposed to do and tucked down low, and he just hit his helmet because the guy was falling over his back. You know it was R- right. bogus. Well, it is, and, and but the problem is it is the rule, and uh, and according to the rule. Um, he was guilty of the infraction, but the the fact is, is I, I, I that that rule just needs to be revisited to recognize that there are going to be occasions when they should be able to, especially since they're now using video uh, replay to review those, that the video re- reviewer should be able to assess and determine that hey, this person was tackling with proper technique. It was a football play. And uh, this guy wasn't launching to hit helmet to helmet. There was no intent. It was incidental, and it was not leveraging up into a, a helpless player. This was a guy who was in the wrong place at the wrong time because of what the wide receiver was trying to do to catch a football. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then talking about some other good points, um, Imani Cross, you know, and uh, Newby, you know, they, have, they were running well. You know, our offensive line played pretty good, you know, um, it wasn't a ton of pressure coming towards Tommy on most of his throws. You know, the kicking game was good. Um, was Drew Brown kicked uh, kicked some good field goals for us. Um, so in all those respects, you know, we played uh, how we wanted to play, certainly. Well, we didn't have tremendous success running the football. Uh, if you look at the, uh, you know, per carry uh, yardage for, for Omani and Newby and even Armstrong, None of those were very impressive, and and frankly, the, the we only ran the, you know the the uh, jet sweep a couple of times, and we didn't get anything out of those. And so, uh, what I'm disappointed in, you know, we had some great success with that tight end around uh, in the Rutgers game, we scored a touchdown on it, um, and we never saw that even attempted in this game. And then I I, I did like the fact that they did use the Armstrong. Uh, uh, you know, basically quarterback keep with a with with a lead blocker around the end, basically a quarterback sweep, if you will, um, in terms of how it was blocked. And uh, uh, they did use that play a few times. And Tommy got okay yardage. He did none of them broke for big yards, but he did okay on those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I liked how um, you know at the start of the game, you know, we were. Uh... We were consistently like running the ball, you know, as one of those things like we've talked about before, you know, don't give up on the running game just because, you know, it didn't work once. You know, right. uh, Langsdorf did show some commitment to it, although I noticed it seemed like we were kind of in this weird mindset where we were either going to run it on every down or we were going to try to pass it on every down. And I didn't see as much integration of that mixed offense as I would have liked. Right, right. Well, and, and again, I, I, I still feel like, you know, to, to, to a large extent, I, I, I've come to the realization that until we get a quarterback who can execute uh, uh, Langsdorf's system the way 
you know, he wants it executed. Um, uh, I'm not going to fully embrace or understand his play calling. But the bottom line is, is that if he had a quarterback that could do what he needs them to do on a fairly consistent basis, then we would throw the football more. And frankly, our running game would be better because of that success. You know what I mean? The passing game would open up the running game a little bit. Yeah, they would adjust to compensate for the passing game. Right, right. And and since we are talking about the positive of this before we get on to the, the, the obvious negatives, um, you know, the things – here's the thing that blows me away is, is just from a stat line standpoint to look mm-hmm. at and, and realize, you know, who was controlling the game. You had, uh, you know, this is uh, Iowa versus Nebraska stats. First downs, 11 for Iowa, 22 first downs for Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, total yardage, uh, 250 yards on 44 offensive plays to 433 yards on 83 offensive plays. So we totally dominated in terms of uh, number of offensive plays, and that translates down to time of possession, 23 minutes to 36 minutes, uh, uh, almost 37 minutes, I guess. Um, um, so, I mean, just crazy, crazy in our favor. Um, here's a, an overwhelming stat. Third down conversions. Yep. Zero. Iowa, zero for nine. Zero for nine. And Nebraska, seven of 16. Uh, so, I mean, it just it, it, if you look at the stat line, you would say uh, uh, clearly Nebraska was the dominant team in this case. However, you have to take into consideration that turnover stat line, which obviously is a huge issue, um, and then the penalty yards, which is another huge issue. Uh, and what's not in, reflected in that penalty yards is keep in mind that we had a turnover that we would have gotten if one of those penalties wasn't there. Yep. Uh, and so that, that, that penalty yardage also includes a missed turnover opportunity. Yep, that's true. And uh, to be to be fair, I mean, we had eight penalties. They had six. Uh, so we were equal in that re- pretty close to equal in that regard, but ours were for more yards. They were more right because, because they were personal of the personal foul variety. Right. And then probably similarly, you got to realize that you know uh, they had one long touchdown uh, on that single play uh, rushing uh, touchdown that they had, and then they had the interception for a touchdown. Um, uh, so a pick six. That was another score. So there, there's 14 of their 28 points right there that are basically on, on you know, two really, really bonehead mistakes. One by our defense, one by our quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, that caused that to happen. Oh yeah. Well, and I think it was it was the that string of penalties that we had like in a row uh, that allow in the targeting and stuff that like bumped them from like the. The fifty to like the thirty, you know, oh, exactly. and set them it up led for to their first score. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. So that's true. I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing we've been saying all season. Unfortunately, you know, we were the better team, but we made more mistakes, and that's why we lost. That's a simple. Right. So we beat ourselves, as and, it gets. and 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 that's the thing is we, uh, you know, now as I look in hindsight, there's a couple of things. As a Nebraska fans, as a Nebraska uh, football team, we have now lived with effectively uh, seven years, maybe now going to be going on eight years with these horrifically mistake uh, laden quarterbacks. Uh, four years of, uh, of uh, um, Martinez. Taylor Martinez and now three years of, of uh, um, t- uh, Tommy Armstrong. 
both of whom are quarterbacks that that tease you with potential, uh, with their physical skills and phys- physical attributes, but their decision making and their inability to, uh, you know, uh, possess the football and not turn it over, whether it's through interceptions or fumbles or whatever, uh, um, we have just been snake bit for uh, the better part of a decade now because of uh, our choice to stay with two quarterbacks who were uh, accident prone, mistake prone, whatever you want to call it. And they didn't get better. They didn't progress. Now, one thing I will say in Armstrong's favor in that comparison is that while, you know, obviously Martinez, especially before his injury was able to just pull off these amazing explosive quickness, you know, in his runs and stuff, which was his biggest asset, um, the r- little rumors and bits we heard from the team was that he wasn't uh, the best like leader of the team as in terms of being a quarterback. You know, he was a little bit of a prima donna sometimes. You know, whereas well, he was just quiet and he was not the social animal, I guess, that others would like and you would typically want from your your quarterback who's got to be the you know the face of your program right whereas the things i've heard about armstrong is that you know he's quite the opposite and that you know he does carry the team you know he is a social guy and you know a lot of the players look up to him you know which is something i respect about him you know he clearly tries hard you know he's shown i mean comparing this year to last year you know we definitely saw a significant improvement in terms of his uh you know ability to pass the ball and you know some of his decision making uh, was improved, you know, like in the scenario where he carried us through the fourth quarter of the Miami game, you know, to 21 points in eight minutes. Uh, so there's so much about Tommy to love, you know, as a physical specimen. He's great as a as a kid, you know, in terms of leadership, in terms of being a good guy. You know, he's got all those qualities about him, but it's, you know, the mental decision-making part of it and his accuracy with throwing the football and throwing into, getting into these bad mechanics out of right. habit. That's exactly. And the question is, after three years, can you continue to work on him as a as a project, if you will? Or do you need to move on and 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 ask him to move on with you? Meaning uh, we need you as a backup to be our guy and and, and acknowledge we need you to recognize that you are not going to play NFL football in at, at the quarterback position, no matter what. You're just not there. You don't have what is required. So if you want to play in the NFL, maybe we move you to wide receiver, you know, or H-back or something, and uh, a little bit like they did with Braxton Miller this year at Ohio State, and, and then he's our backup uh, emergency quarterback if we need him. But, but uh, uh, you know, let, give him the opportunity to position himself for a potential NFL career because, I mean, if he could prove himself as a wide receiver, he just might – uh, uh, or H-back, he just might go to play in the league. Otherwise, uh, I think his football playing days are going to be over, yeah. you know, either after next year. Well, uh, I guess I would I would ask, I would give him the choice, basically. If he's really that determinate, if he, if, he's, if his dream is to go to the NFL, I have no idea about if this is true of Tommy or not. If his dream is to go to the NFL, then I would agree that that's the best scenario for him. If he isn't if that isn't his set goal and he wants to be the quarterback of nebraska next year you know then personally i would say that you know you um tell him you know to go we'll help him out you know but he's gonna go work in the off season you know on his the mental side of his game in the uh in the post game interviews um i was reading the transcript and he basically said where's the quote here 
he, he said, if it's anybody's fault, it's mine. Our defense played well. Our receivers caught well. Offensive line blocked well. Put us in great positions to win the game. I just didn't take care of the football. So he was good about you know owning up to that fact. And he talked later about, in terms of the offseason, how he feels like he has the physical aspects down, but it's mental. And he was talking about how he needs to not have mental breakdowns like he did in this game. Um, so I would say, you know, give him the chance to uh, improve himself over this uh, offseason, you know, to come into his senior year. But I would say he's on a level playing field with all the other quarterbacks come spring ball. You know, he's not like the designated starter. He has to prove that he's, you know, made those adjustments in order to be our guy. And and we and, and but we just did that, Alex. That's the that's where I would I would struggle. Uh, because what he did in that in that Iowa game, he I mean it was just atrocious. He it was like he was throwing the ball to Iowa players. I mean it, it wasn't just a little bit off. Some of his interceptions were atrociously bad, just atrociously bad. And mm-hmm. he's done that before. And 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 you can you can point to his decision making and or his his lack of physical discipline and mechanics of throwing the football. When he throws the football with proper mechanics, the guy's got a tremendous arm. I'm convinced he can be a 65% passer right. if he was consistent with his mechanics. Okay, mm-hmm. but but he's not. And so the question is, do you can you afford as a coaching staff to kind of delay your ultimate decision about what direction you're going with your quarterback, which is your leader, uh, for by a whole nother year? You know, uh, letting him. Because he's going to look good in practice. You know he's going to look good in practice because it's not the game situation. The stress, uh, the decision-making, the, you know, the instantaneous aspect of it, uh, the physical aspects of it are, are missing when you're, when you're evaluating them during practices. And so uh, during spring and in the fall camp next year, I don't think they're going to see anything that would lead them to believe that he's going to be anything but better, Okay. But then the season's going to start, and now you've already committed all those reps and all those snaps to this quarterback, and you're going to ride his horse again, okay? And then midway through the season, he's going to deteriorate in his mechanics. He's going to deteriorate in his decision-making because he's shown himself as a, as a competitor and as an athlete to not have the ability to differentiate and, and make those right choices. You know, And if, if he was a sophomore or a freshman, I get it. But he was a third-year starter junior, and I just I just don't know if, if I'm uh, already under the gun as a as an aging head coach at the University of Nebraska, where I've got to make my mark immediately. I mean, uh, given uh, the age of Coach Riley and his staff, they need to make progress and they need to make it now. They cannot afford to wait uh, because you know uh, he, they're already. Recruiters are already using Riley's age against him, I guarantee you. And if he doesn't have start having success immediately, so he progresses us in a positive direction immediately, I'm afraid that the Riley era will be short-lived. Well, I think that's got less to do with his age and more of the fact that if he doesn't, you know, I mean, if we go next season is another five-win season like this, then the pressure's really going to be on in terms of... And that doesn't matter if you're young or old. That's just, well, you know, being a coach yeah. in Nebraska. Well, that's true. But but I, I think I think that his, given his age and what, what the implications are of that relative to recruiting and, and relative to whether or not in the time horizon that we could reasonably expect Coach Riley to be our coach. I mean, he's already 61, 62 years old. 
you know, he's got five, maybe, maybe seven or eight years, and he'll be 70 years old, okay? Most people, most coaches start to, you know, uh, slow down at that point, all right? And, and the ones that, that survive beyond that age of 70 uh, are guys that are very, very established in their football teams, right? That have uh, built a lot of goodwill and, and basically earned the right to depart at their leisure, Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. Uh, uh, and so Riley has to start building that uh, that positive success. And there, don't get me wrong. I, I want Coach Riley and his staff to succeed. I think they understand the, and, and appreciate Nebraska football for what it is more than Bo or uh, Bill Callahan did. I mean, I really get that these guys understand all that. I think that they have a youthful aspect to them in how they're making use of social media and doing things in, with regard to recruiting. And although they haven't had great success in recruiting, that has more to do with the fact that they're five and seven on the field than it does with their efforts necessarily. So uh, I think that uh, they still have a window of opportunity in which they can begin to turn this ship around and really start making some headway. But uh, boy, uh, next year is a huge, huge year for them now. And I'm not sure I hitched my wagon to Tommy Armstrong, uh, uh, unless Tommy Armstrong absolutely makes a commitment to me as a coaching and my coaches that says I'm going to spend X amount of time in film study every day, every week, whatever, and just absolutely lays out a plan that says this is how I'm going to plan to get better as a decision maker, and I'm going to prove it to you coaches and to my teammates, and I'm going to be the best leader I can be and stay out of trouble and all that, you know? Yeah. And if he makes that kind of commitment on his own, unilaterally, and goes in and tells the coaches that, then I'm all in. But anything short of that, I think I have to seriously, seriously consider the value of taking those snaps uh, and, and giving them to some other younger uh, quarterbacks, even if they're not quite as good as Tommy right now, in the hopes that their trajectory would just pass Tommy up. You know, right. Well, I mean, that's here's my thing with it. I don't think you can start, uh, you know, the fans are already saying bench Tommy for next year and stuff like that. You know, you can't um, just completely shut down the kid's ability to or his if he puts in the effort. Right. If he he actually puts in the effort and trains hard, you know, does get, you know, significantly better in that mental regard. You know, you have to uh, uh, honor that. You know, as a Absolutely. coach, and and B, and this is the other aspect of it. You know, you have to look at the guys you have behind him, and are they really a better alternative? You know, like you say, like if we ha- if this new guy who's apparently coming in uh, midway through the year uh, from high school, if he is uh, as good as we're hoping he'll be, then maybe we do consider that him as a, a possibility to hitch our uh, you know wagon to, as, as you say. But if there's if we're not confident in the guys behind him, then you're kind of stuck, unfortunately. Right. Well, and, and but my point is that uh, Tommy would need to know that he would have to, in my opinion, usually a three-year starter. I mean, you're not going to knock him off the starting position unless you're clearly better. I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to flip that on its head, and I'm going to say because of Tommy's consistently inconsistent play, uh, I would tell Tommy – you have to be clearly better than everyone else. Or if someone can get close to you in terms of their performance because of their youth and, and the potentially higher ceiling that they all have, 
that versus you, I have to uh, uh, give them the nod and, and, and pursue them, you know, rather than spend expending my energy with you. So I would I would make it clear to Tommy that, hey, you got you got to compete for this job. And I expect you to be head and shoulders above everyone else. And if you're not, then I've got a question whether it's in our best interest to keep you as our uh, as our starter. Because it's just not worth it if you're going to make these bad decisions. You know, you've got to make decisions better. We coached you to do that. I know you're capable of doing it. You've got to make those decisions. And if you don't, you're done. Okay, so it's a quick hook, a quick hook next year. Right. But I agree with you. I expect he, if he stays with the program and doesn't get frustrated uh, and leave or something, uh, then, uh, then I expect that he will be our starter come uh you know first game next year right uh and then the last thing i wanted to say about the game before we kind of get into the future talk is that um why 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 langsdorf decided to throw a fade route pass on fourth and one is a question that will baffle me for a long time because i i agree that we should go we it's okay for us to go for it on fourth down because it's fourth and one we could give it to Amani Cross, you know, and get that first down. We should be able to do that easily um, versus kicking a field goal in that situation and hoping you score again later. You know, I understand why he was trying to go for the go for blood there, but you don't pass it on fourth and one. Right, right. Uh, well, uh, well, you know what? But again, if you, as you and I have discussed, uh, you know, not on the podcast here yet, so I should articulate it, is that um, – the pass play included more than that option, the fade route option. It was a pass play that had multiple choices for Tommy to choose from. And, and the other choices he had were, 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 were open and, and would have been a much simpler, lower risk uh, tra- uh, pass transaction. And, uh, and so um, knowing his circumstance and the situation in the game, he should have chosen those other choices those should have been the ones he looked at and and the fact that he didn't make the right decision and recognize the situation is precisely the the huge blind spot weakness that he has as a quarterback i mean you know the coaches can't afford to call a timeout to tell a three-year starter hey it's fourth and one we only need the one yard so even though this pass play usually has that as a primary target the fade route uh, given the circumstance, this secondary uh, route over here, which we haven't used very often to the tight end, is the one we need you to look at first. If he's open, you take the first down and we move on, right? Uh, you, you can't, you don't have the time as a coach to go through all that detail. Uh, <clears throat> you know what I mean? Right. That, that, that three-year starter in that game situation needs to know that. He needs to understand what he's up against. And, and Tommy time and time again doesn't make that decision properly and so uh i uh, you know the argument can be made we had just tried to run cross on a on a, on a dive play into the into the you know the center of the defense and iowa knew that we were going to be trying to do that so they were loading the box so i can see why as a coordinator you say okay if they're going to do that then this should be open and frankly it was it was wide open so the fact that he called the pass play on that fourth down, I can't argue that the play didn't work because it was there. I wouldn't have chosen to do it. It seemed to me like they decided to go for it on fourth down after not getting it on third down. See, in my opinion, 
you decide early on in that series when when you got it, it was second and eight or second and two. We got like eight yards on first down, and so we had two plays really to uh, um, to get two yards. And if you make the decision, you already knew, given the place on the field and the time in the game, that you're going for it on fourth down. Then you make decisions accordingly. You make play calls accordingly, knowing you've got to do those. Yeah. You know what I mean? True. Although I think uh, in that situation in particular, I said, you know, it made sense for us to go for it on fourth down. It's because it was fourth and one. It's because it was easy. If it had been fourth and eight, I, you kick the field goal in that situation, you hope that you get down there, you know, obviously to... Uh, right. Score again. We weren't in the point where we had to now, go for it on fourth down no matter what. Now, you and I are in agreement there. Now, interestingly, I would tell you that, you know, on bulletin boards and in conversations with other uh, fans who watched the game, I would tell you that there were plenty of people who felt we should have just played it totally ultra conservative and just taken the three points. And because uh, it, it was a field goal that was comfortably within uh, our kicker's field goal range and uh, just take the three points and anticipate that you're going to get the ball back. But you needed to secure some points and, and uh, get closer, get within one score, uh, and, and then you know anything can happen kind of thing. Because yeah. you, 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 the, the thing you couldn't do is come away from that empty-handed, which is what happened. True. And, and the, the, the downside risk was just too great. I, I suppose my argument would be that we had, you know, our offense had struggled to get a drive going, you know, without having a turnover or something all day. So, and we were like on the 20, so we were close. Right. You no, know? I'm with you. So I, I'm, that's I'm why I would argue I, we were in the position I, to score a touchdown in that, in that scenario. Correct. And, and, I, and I'm 100% in agreement with Coach Langsdorf and Coach Riley for making the decision to go for it on fourth down rather than kick it. I get that. I'm, I'm okay with that decision. What I'm not okay with is, you know, again, yes, they tried to run the ball, uh, or, or I should say they ran a running play, but why he does it, they, they had a situation where we, we were in an I formation, and they shifted out of I formation, and they gave it to our slow running back, uh, Monty Cross, um, you know, uh, naked, uh, with not a lead blocker uh, leading the way out of the I formation. Instead, they handed it to him and tried to use the other back, I think, for some kind of a, you know, counter uh, action, motion, something. I don't know. But they, they did not give him a nice lead play where he had a blocker to take on first penetration and, and give him a chance to make a choice and get, and get a lean and a little bit of velocity going before he hit the line of scrimmage. They didn't do that at all. So I, I, I didn't like the running play even before. So... Yeah. Uh, on second down. So. Yeah. All right. So talking about the you know the future here. Um, yeah. Good news is that there were enough six team, team uh, six win teams that have lost that we already know that there will be at least two and upwards of, to a maximum of five potential um, five win teams that could go to bowl games and we are one of the most desirable of those certainly. Right. And so there is at least a chance. Uh, that we could find ourselves in a bowl game sounds like a pretty decent chance and regardless of what that bowl game is or whatever uh, you know I'm of the opinion and I think you share my view that we take that opportunity that invitation say yes to it embrace the opportunity to get you know 10 15 more practices uh, with the uh, for the team uh, it's an opportunity where they can get a lot of snaps for the younger players and really focus on on their development and frankly, for Tommy, 
I, I would like to think that it, w- it would be a, an opportunity uh, for him to begin this demonstration of his changed decision-making after being a bonehead. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm still angry as we talk <laughs> about, about this game because we were the better team, in my opinion. I, I, uh, clearly, um, Iowa is, in my opinion, one of the worst 12-0 teams in the history of college football. <laughs> Uh, I can't imagine a team that, that, that has gotten to this stage of a season previous that could be as bad as theirs is and still uh, be undefeated because of the combination of, of them being very disciplined um, and, uh, and, and then having a schedule that allowed them to um, you know basically skate through. Yeah, well, and I also think we saw what we talked about last week, you know, fact of the matter is we had a, a bye week you know to help us with preparation whereas they played on saturday and then had to play on friday so that even a shorter week than usual right and our coaches came with a better game plan clearly seen by our defense shutting down their offense you know for the right. most part right well and again uh, you know some but some of those breakdowns the fact that see again i, I i'm going to go back to uh uh, a, a pattern of decisions by our coaching staff that needs to change you know, there's a re, uh, uh, Nathan Gary was was the one player on our team that we could ill afford to lose in a football game because he's probably the only player that 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 hardly left the field during the entire season. We've had so many injuries at almost every other position <clears throat> that we've developed a little bit of depth be, due to injuries. Now, why they never in any game this season ever gave Gary some more time on the sidelines? so that some backups could have been playing and maybe gotten more comfortable with the position. As it was, we ended up with a freshman out there, or a young guy, I don't know, maybe he was a redshirt freshman, but, but a young guy out there in his place, and that guy took a bad angle uh, and didn't fit into the run scheme the way he was supposed to. And, and there you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you, you just place. can't, yeah. you, you know, in, in game 12, you should have at least two guys that know what they're doing. You know, I get it if you had injuries and stuff, but I mean, you should have two guys with, who have had enough snaps during the course of a season because of managing the games throughout the season that you've got somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. True. Although, we, we did not. Unfortunately, you know, in a more typical season, we would probably have more of that luxury because we would, you know, get out ahead of teams to the point where we could start subbing in more guys you know but we were in right. a dogfight pretty much every game of the season yeah but you still have to you know what that's what practice is for and that's why coaches have first and second teams that's why again uh you know alex one thing we'll talk about as we go forward is we may want to uh um um you know uh, kind of break down the interview with tom osborne that was replayed recently on uh, uh 1620 the zone uh, where he was interviewed, Tom was interviewed by Damon Benning and uh, uh, and uh, Gary Sharp uh, because it it uh, highlights in great detail, uh, I think, or greater detail than is often shared by Tom Osborne uh, about some of the specific things that they did in, in practices and in terms of how they prepared for games that I think is integral to you know what what led to our success and. And I want to hear our current coaches using some of those basic concepts if we expect to have 
championship success again. I mean, because I, I think they're fundamental. Yep. No, that was a good interview. I would like to talk about them in the future. Um, so, yep. so as a final topic of conversation, um, if we do have, if we do go to a bowl game, you know, which as you said seems likely at this point, uh, what are the things that need to be done besides Tommy, you know, working on his mental stuff? Because we've already established that. What else <laughs> should the team focus on? You know, I, I think, I think, uh, well, number one. Uh, like I said, I, I think it would be a it would be critically important that we get our offensive linemen who have not been getting a lot of snaps because we have three senior starters on the offensive line and we have not done a lot of rotation. I think it would be really critical during the during any bowl prep that we might have that we would use that to to be developing those younger guys on the offensive line. We've had a lot of rotation on the defensive line because of injuries by force, and and so I think that is less of an issue for them. I think defensively, I think it would be more about developing that depth in the secondary, um, and and figuring that out. We've we've had a lot of, you know, changing pieces of the puzzle back there because of injuries. So that is an area, you know, that we would need to to develop some some uh, more depth in. So that would be an area of focus for me. And then the third one for me would be running backs um, and, uh, uh, and trying to figure out who is going to be our, our, our running backs uh, that we can count on beyond Amani Cross because he's going to be graduating. He's a good player, but he's not a great player. He's not a huge difference maker. And I would like to – I would give uh, the young freshman Azigbo and the young uh, redshirt freshman Wilbon – uh, both would get a lot of snaps in game prep for a bowl game if I was coaching. Yep. And I would give them every opportunity to maybe position themselves for some more snaps in that game uh, mm -hmm. versus uh, uh, Terrell Newby, you know, who's been up and down and injured this year. Uh, we kind of know what we've got with Terrell, but um, um, I, I don't know what I've got with the Zigbo or, or Wilbon. Yeah, well, and Zigbo's gotten a good number of runs. Um, yeah, I, I will. It's interesting because I feel like with in a bowl game scenario, you need to have a kind of a balancing act of, you know, prepping your future talent as well as you know letting the seniors play their final game. You know, because you yeah. definitely want to give them their chance. Well, but I I would see this as uh, frankly that uh, that has been the whole season that that was that was senior day, uh, you know, up there in Lincoln this past uh, Friday. Um, this bowl game I would see as, as a gift that was just handed to us and we needed to use it to maximize it as a gift. And, uh, and so I'm not saying you don't play uh, Amani, but you know what you've got with Amani. So you, you get him some first team reps, but then you get him out of there and you make sure you're, you're giving a lot of reps to the other guys. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so you, you gear them up. And then when the actual game comes, depending on how those guys have graded out, they may be earned some more some more snaps by their play in the prep before the bowl game or they didn't and if they didn't then obviously Amani gets all the carries uh, you know and Terrell gets some too but but if uh, if one of them has kind of emerged and began to separate themselves well then that guy gets some carries I'll also yeah. say that I'd like to see uh, Janovich get some more runs because I'm I know oh. I know we've had him as a blocker you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was that one game that he was really good in where he's kind of broke out a bit into people's uh, perception, and we haven't used him nearly that much right. ever since. And I don't know why uh, exactly that is. 
Well, they, they tried, but again, uh, again, this back, back to Langsdorf and, uh, you know, round peg, square hole type of thing, or uh, I should say square peg, round hole. Um, the, the, the bottom line is that um, if he runs a play uh, and it doesn't work, he never goes back to it. He, he like checks that off the list. Oh, that's not going to work. And, uh, and so he'll run. He ran a, a, a he ran a curl trap or a trap a little a little fullback dive type of play. I don't know if it was a trap or not. Um, uh, in, uh, in the first half of this Iowa game with Janovit, and it didn't go for anything. In fact, it might have lost a yard or lost half a yard or something. And and I think that was it. That, then he was he was like check that off the list. And he, you know he needed to he needed to find ways to get Janovic more involved in the offense. He needed to find more plays, more ways that he could get the ball in his hands um, because he, he was proving himself to be a pretty salty runner, you know. And uh, I, I think a, a lost opportunity for this coaching staff with Janovich. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, we're going to be doing our traditional, uh, more broader-scale, college-wide podcasts on Tuesday, discussing yes. new playoff rankings as well as the – all the upsets and uh, changes from rivalry Saturday. There were some a lot of great games that I'm yep. looking forward to talking about, as well as hopefully uh, being able to talk about the bowl games soon and if Nebraska is in fact going to one and our opponent and all that fun stuff. Right, right, exactly. And and the, the exciting thing for me is I live in Michigan and the the early uh, you know estimates or guesses from you know so-called uh, people in the know, right. Uh, suggest that they might be uh, uh, a candidate for a bowl game uh, right here in Detroit. And if that were the case, I would be very excited about that because it would be much more likely that I would be able to carve out the time and money to be able to go down there and enjoy that. Yeah. And quite possibly you could do it with me if it turns out that it's during the holiday season when you're here. That is true. That would be quite a little, little matchup. I would look forward to that. Exactly. All right. So if you all out there enjoyed this podcast, you can email us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can find us on uh, Podomatic. We're footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. That's where we host all of our podcasts. We also host them on iTunes, so you can subscribe to us there, give us ratings and reviews, or you can comment on the Podomatic page. We always like hearing from the fans. Uh, So thank you, Husker Nation, for listening to us throughout this regular season. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Thank you.